This evening's reading can be found in Romans 8 um, on page 944 of the Church Bibles. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we did not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Philip. And thank you, Johnny and our musicians.
and Sarah uh, for your uh, reading. Let's pray as we come to the end of this series on the person of the Holy Spirit. Our Father, we pray that as we turn to your word once again, and to conclude this series on the person of the Holy Spirit, and as we step onto this most precious ground that is the Holy Spirit as our helper in life, and in some of the deepest and darkest places in our life when we are down in the dirt, down in a pit, caught up in the rough. And we would be remiss to think that there is no one here, nor no one listening, who is not in that place. And we would be remiss to think that any of us will not be and have not been and could not be in that place. And so will you speak with clarity and encouragement. And if there is one thing above all else that we ask, it would be the sweet divine assurance that to be a child of God is to be safe now and forevermore. And we pray in the name of the one who is our brother, and with whom we share the inheritance of God, the same Jesus Christ, and for his sake. Amen. Now, if you can keep a hold of the service sheet with uh, the details on it, which will hopefully give us a guide as we work through this material, and to have your Bibles open, most importantly of all, uh, and to have Romans 8 in front uh, of you. We're going to have to go at pretty much breakneck pace to get through Romans 8, and uh, some of the stuff, if we have touched on it before, I will just move over, but I commend to you uh, further study of this wonderful, wonderful chapter. I think it would be fair to say that for many Christians, Romans 8 is perhaps one of the, if not the most precious chapter in the Bible. I wonder, though, if people mean by that the stuff at the beginning and the end, the no condemnation stuff, that wonderful stuff about through the cross of Christ we are safe. There is no guilty verdict. We know the verdict now. That's precious, and the stuff at the end is very precious if God is for us, who can be against us? And that long litany and list of stuff that is against every person in this world. I wonder, though, if all the stuff in the middle makes this a precious chapter. The word groaning appears all through the chapter, and that's the bit that we are on tonight. Now, let me just put it in context, uh, our series. Our series has been on getting to know the person of the Holy Spirit, and the strap line, the text verse, if we had one, is John 14, 16 to 17. You know him. Jesus says to the disciples, you know the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And our, 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 our thesis has been this. Tonight and last week and the week before, we are on the person of the Holy Spirit living in us as Christians. But in order to richly and fully appreciate that, uh, we have spent time on uh, building our knowledge or our biography of the person of the Holy Spirit right from creation, right through the ministry of Christ, and then into us, uh, indwelling us. Now, you know him. You'll see there on the sheet, we went back to creation and the old covenant. And then you know him, for he dwells with you, the intimate personal companion of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
in his earthly ministry is the person of the Holy Spirit. At his incarnation, his anointing, his temptations, his ministry, his miracles, his uh, death, resurrection, ascension, glorification. And then the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the person of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in the early days of the church. The Holy Spirit is all about uh, connection with the Word of God, speaking, convicting, and transforming the specific ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the apostles, inspiring, accrediting, and speaking. And then the Holy Spirit in you. Now, the Holy Spirit has uh, varied activities and ministries. The Holy Spirit in your life and my life is not exactly the same as the Holy Spirit in creation. Although the Holy Spirit in creation brings order out of chaos and fullness out of emptiness, that's what He does do to an extent in our lives. The Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus has a particular ministry that doesn't always translate into our life, but the the wonderful thing is, is that the Holy Spirit that indwells you, there is only one Holy Spirit. There are no sub-spirits or little spirits. There's one person of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit that indwells you and indwells me is the Holy Spirit that hovered over the earth at creation and that was the intimate companion of the Lord Jesus. Now, a Christian is someone who is born again through the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling them. What is baptism in the Holy Spirit? Baptism is a synonym, another way of saying rebirth or regeneration. To be born again means the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and invades our hearts. Uh, conversion of the heart, transformation of the heart, ownership of the heart. He takes up residence in heart, body, mind, and soul, the Holy Spirit in us physically. And so there is no temple other than you. There is no home where God dwells on the earth other than in Christians. Now, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that indwells us? We see there on the list he unites us with Christ and His saving achievements. He changes us, and the bold is where we will be tonight. He assures us, and He helps us in our weakness. He gifts us for serving in the church, and He empowers our speaking. Now, let's turn to Romans 8, and uh, I'm going to uh, very quickly deal with numbers 1 and 2 on the list because we dealt with them in Galatians chapter 5 last week, and get on to assurance and help in our weakness. But firstly, heading number one in Romans 8, the indwelling Spirit unites us with Christ in His saving achievements of His death and resurrection. Let's read uh, these marvelous verses 1 to 4 again. There is therefore now. That tempts me and tempts you to read Romans 1 to 7. Righteousness from somewhere else, from Jesus Christ. There is therefore now, right now, right now, at uh, seven o'clock in this building, now, not at Judgment Day, now, no condemnation. Why? For the law of the Spirit of life the set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, your flesh, my flesh, could not do, by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, fully God and fully man, and for sin, in other words, to deal with sin, God condemned sin in the sinless flesh of Christ in order that what the law requires, which is sinless perfection for a relationship with God, uh, might be fulfilled in us. Now, these are marvelous, marvelous words. And uh, the passage goes on to talk about uh, how we uh, walk in the Spirit. And if you look forward to uh, um, verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. In other words, what these verses in Romans 8, 1 to 13 are saying is that the Holy Spirit in us unites us with Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. The word Christian is not used in the New Testament. In Christ Jesus is how we are described. And that means all the achievements of the cross and the resurrection have been imputed to us. In other words, declared that we are declared to be that and imparted inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit so that you sit here and you have been saved. From the penalty for sin, there is no condemnation. You have been liberated from the power of sin, the power of the flesh. There is, therefore, transformation. And you have been, past tense, because it happened at the cross, uh, saved. And this is not yet, but it's guaranteed because it was secured at the cross, saved from the very presence of uh, sin, the new creation. Now, lots in Romans 8, 1 to 13. Now, the middle of Romans 8, 1 to 13, heading number two on the sheet, is all this stuff about walking in the Spirit. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit, if you like, think of your life like a, a ship. Yeah, and when the Holy Spirit indwells you, the bridge of the ship is taken by the Holy Spirit. You are secure in the bit that fundamentally matters. Your inner being, your soul, your, your heart is God's the Holy Spirit indwells you. And the course of your Christian life is the Holy Spirit working to transform you into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens in lots of ways. It happens as we walk in the way of the Spirit. That's Galatians 5. And it happens as we put to death the deeds of the body. There's a, a positive side and there's a, 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 a tough negative side as we grow in godliness. Now, listen to last week if, uh, if it would be helpful on that. Now, um, I've done well um, uh, not to waggle. Uh, some, one of you said to me uh, a couple of weeks ago, I waggled on the T both at the beginning and the end of the sermon, <laughs> which is quite an achievement. It's particularly discouraging when you find yourself back on the T because um, your ball went out of bounds. <laughs> right, number three. What's the problem? The problem, as we consider number two, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, is that it is easy for us as Christians to become discouraged and doubt because we continue to struggle with sin. I mean, not just on a Monday and a Friday, 
and not just perhaps for one month over the course of a year. But for many of us as Christians, it feels like our struggle with sin is not one that we are making progress in. And struggling with sin, now it may well be, if you, I expect this is true for many of us, there will be stuff going on in your life that you have been battling with perhaps for many, many years and you have not progressed in it. There is battles, struggles with sin, and that struggle with sin leads us to doubt and let's face up to this. And some of you um, have expressed this uh, as we study the Bible and talk about the transformation of the Holy Spirit. You doubt that you are a real Christian. You doubt that you are actually saved. And discouragement and doubt in this realm is commonplace for Christians. Let me repeat that. Discouragement and doubt in this realm is commonplace for Christians, and you're probably thinking, it is for me, but not for him. It is for me, but not for them. I'm saying to you that's not true, and to guard you against or any of us of falling into the trap of thinking that we are the only Christian in Chalmers who is discouraged and doubting our salvation. You see, the devil is so subtle if he can convince you sitting here or listening in line that you are the only Christian in Chalmers who is struggling with sin and thereby doubting your salvation, in about five minutes' time, you will be doubting even more. Let me break confidence and say that you are not alone. Let me break confidence and say that you are not nearly alone or you are nowhere near alone in that battle. In fact, every Christian experiences that battle and experiences these doubts. Now, how does the indwelling Spirit assure us? Firstly, by helping us to understand what is promised now and what is not yet. What is promised now is progress in the battle with sin. Notice I'm talking about promised now, not asked of us now. Let's always keep the initiative from God to us. Grace, grace, grace first. What is promised now is progress. What is not yet is perfection. It's good to remember that not yet is perfection, and that perfection will come, but not yet. What is promised now is progress. What does progress look like? Charles Spurgeon, I think it was, who said that progress looks like walking up a sand dune. Three steps forward, two steps backwards. Lactic acid in your legs. Lactic acid in your spiritual life. Taking the long view, perhaps, of this progress, but there are periods, and they can be long ones, of very little progress, no progress, or slipping back, or, and, or just no progress. Understand what is promised now. Progress in the Christian life over the 
track. One of the things that we could really do to help one another is to encourage people in the church when we see progress over time in their lives. You know, when you're a kid and uh, your aunt or whatever comes at Christmas, and what's the first line? My, give me a kiss is the first line. And the second one is, my, haven't you grown? Why haven't you grown? Why are we so shy of saying to one another, do you know you've grown as a Christian? I can see things. Because the person who has grown will not feel like they have grown. Because what happens when you are transformed is the conscience comes alive and the battles become real. Third, how does the Holy Spirit give us assurance? The indwelling Spirit assure us in the face of our struggle with sin. Remember that Paul wrote Romans 8 to give Christians assurance. Remember that Paul uh, uh, autobiographically poured out his heart in Romans chapter 7 when he said, wretched man that I am. Paul is speaking in Romans 7, 24 and 25 as a Christian, who will deliver me from this body of flesh? And Paul writes, death, which is the consequence of our fleshly bodies. Answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the end, He will. And I find great assurance in that the Apostle Paul wrote Romans 8 for his own soul because he said, wretched man that I am. Fourth, listen to what God says. He does not want you to be afraid or to doubt. Just read with me verse uh, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. God does not want you to fear that you are not saved. Fifth, accept who God says you are. You are adopted by God as His child. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified uh, with Him. Accept what God says. And remember, when, whenever we say to ourselves, accept what God says, we are saying accept what God says in His Word. And what is His Word? It is the inspired Word of God. It is living Word. It is written on our hearts. It is ministered to us internally through the Holy Spirit as we read it, hear it preached, study it together. So when I say listen to what God's Word says, listen to what He says, that you are adopted by God as His child. The Holy Spirit will be in your heart, maybe pray that He is ministering quietly to you. Yes, you are my child. How do you know? How can I be sure? Because you have been given 
the most simple and profound experience of assurance that you cry out to God intimately, Abba, Father. Now here we are on to the ground that is subjective, our experience, how we speak. It is the indwelling Spirit that gives us voice to cry, Abba, Father. You know that it's very striking here. It's not the Holy Spirit gives you voice to say, Abba, Father. You see, you can say the word Father ritually or religiously or liturgically. You can say the words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be the name, but you cannot cry, Father, in religion. You can only cry, Father, as a Christian. And that's borne out empirically. If you speak to people who aren't Christians, they will not comfortably use the word Father. They will not cry, Father. And they will not comfortably use the word Jesus. There is a world of a difference between saying the words and speaking the words with a transformed heart indwelt by the Spirit, the Spirit giving you words, breath, and emotion to cry, Father, because He is your Father. You know He is your Father. You love Him. You need Him. You depend on Him. What does a little child do? And uh, all uh, sorts of little children run up and down the paving outside the church. I tell them not to swing in the gate in case they get their fingers sliced off or something like that. And occasionally one of the kids just falls flat on their face. And what do you hear them cry? Daddy! Daddy! They do not cry father to somebody who is not their father. And nor do we. You know he is your father. You love him. You need him. You depend on him. A child does not cry from the heart, Father, to somebody who is not their father. What a sweet, sweet grace is that we are not only adopted into the family of God, but invited and enabled to speak with the intimate words of address used by the divine family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, you may have not cried out to God, Father, for some time. You may not have prayed that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, not the person coming into you, for He is all in you, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit in your life. Let me encourage you when you go home, if you have not been able to utter these words, test yourself and allow the Holy Spirit in your heart to give you voice and breath to cry out, Father. Remember that the Lord Jesus cried, Father. Remember when He cried, Father. In Gethsemane, in His pain and in His agony, the word Father is given to us for the bleakest times. Father. Father. 
And that is a million miles away from religion or ritual. Say, Abba, Father, when we are steady and strong as Christians is wonderfully reassuring, but to cry, Abba, Father, the word cry there in the Greek is the word kradze. It is an emotive cry of anguish. Father. Now, as we think on these words, let me read them again. If you are right now in your life discouraged in your battle with sin, failing in the fight, doubting your salvation, then quietly, Why don't you say it right now? Not out loud, because we're Scottish. When did you last? Say, Father. My Daddy. That is not irreverent. It is pitch perfect. Oh, that we would not grow up as Christians. Sometimes. Now, number four. Quick check on the clock. Not bad. The indwelling spirit not only assures us as we struggle with sin, but as we experience suffering, that we are children of God and therefore heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Read with me verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Uh, here are the most precious bits of Romans 8 in a way. I mean, if you've got a poster of some beautiful uh, summer scene in your kitchen with the words of Romans 8 on it. I bet it's not these words. Let's get new posters with the word groaning on it. For that's life. And when the Bible speaks about real life, as our experience, is that not wonderfully reassuring? The Bible does not speak about a prosperous life. The Bible does not speak about a sin-free and a suffering life. That is what we do as preachers to the Word of God in order to spin it, to get a hearing, and to persuade people. But it's not true. Listen to what it says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed uh, to us. That's the new creation. For the creation, the ground on which we stand, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, the creation that has been ravaged globally by a pandemic for two years is the creation groaning for its liberation. The creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Never ever as Christians knock all that is being said about the environment and the environmental crisis. What is that saying? It's saying that our creation is groaning. But not only the creation, the creatures who live there. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Verse 23, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope 
we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for what hope, uh, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it uh, with uh, patience. If as Christians we can become discouraged and doubt as we continue to struggle with sin, it is also true that we can become discouraged and doubt as we experience uh, suffering. What is the doubt? As I suffer, as I suffer, that God does not love me and that God uh, does not uh, care uh, for me. It may simply be a human emotion because suffering is suffering and tears are tears and anguish is anguish. It may be because someone has told you what the Bible doesn't say. How does the indwelling Spirit assure us as we suffer? As Christians and as we suffer in this fallen world with sickness and disease and so on and so forth, first by understanding what is promised now and not yet. You know, a really thorough grasp of the now and the not yet is so helpful in life. What is now suffering, suffering of living with dying human bodies in a dying world? Some of you here are not in the first flush of youth, and your bodies are not what they were. But right into that reality. The Bible says, well, that's now. That's now. Not yet is no suffering. Resurrected, perfected bodies and a resurrected, perfected new creation. Second, how does the indwelling spirit assurance in suffering be assured in the fact that what it is actually like to live as a Christian in the realm of suffering is what the Word of God says it is going to be like. And that, to me, is a, a profoundly comforting uh, truth. Groaning. Groaning. Groaning comes in all shapes and sizes, but you know when you're groaning. Groaning is not the language of weakness. Don't let anyone tell you that. Groaning is the language of life in this world. And right there in the rough, in the dirt, in the pits that are all too frequent in life, the Holy Spirit is right there with us as we groan. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What does Paul mean by the first fruits of the Spirit and waiting for adoption as sons and the redemption of of our bodies. Surely uh, we have learned that as Christians we had fullness of the Spirit in the sense of the whole person of the Spirit. Surely as Christians we are already adopted as sons and that we are redeemed. Yes, yes, yes. We have the person of the Holy Spirit in us. We have been adopted as sons. We have been redeemed, but we have not yet come into the full experience of it all. We are guaranteed it, but I have the first fruits means that we will have the full fruit of uh, the harvest. You cannot have the first fruit and not get the full fruit. You cannot get the full fruit unless you have the first fruit. But we do not have yet the full fruit. Groaning will be our portion in this life. Most of us will groan as we die. You know, my mind has just gone all these times you're with people as they die. 
groaning, groaning. I've lost the place. Do you not find it reassuring when you sit with someone as they die or in some pit or valley in life that you pick up Romans 8 and you listen to them groaning and you read in Romans 8 groaning and you tell them that the Holy Spirit is right there with them groaning. Do you know what there is not a hint of in Romans 8? There is not a hint of stoicism. There is not a hint of grin and bear it. There is not a hint of mark your time until you are out of this world. Hear the words. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. For in this hope we were saved, we wait for it with patience. Eager, hoping, waiting, patience. Eager, hoping, waiting, patience. Think of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Where do the first fruits blossom in the bitter as well as the sweet providences of life? Why does the Holy Spirit fashion His fruit in our lives? So that when we groan, we will find eagerness, hoping, waiting, and uh, patience. What treasure there is in Christ. Now let's whew, race to the end. Now at that point in Romans 8, I think this is very wonderful. Um, I hope you think it is too. We might well be in a place in our lives at this point as individuals where we could readily go from here, i.e. where the, God has said in His Word that the Holy Spirit and our groanings, that's not because we're weak, it's because it's real. Uh, we might ready, be ready to go to Romans 8.31. What shall we then say? God is for us, who can be against us? Are we ready to go there? Some of us will be. Some of us are hoping that we might be. Because we'll be done. But not everyone here, I warrant, not everyone listening is in that place and ready to go there. Some will be in such a bleak place, groaning, yes, but groaning with such a profound sense of weakness, perhaps despair, groaning, holding on or not holding on by our spiritual fingernails to hope, losing grip, not knowing what to do, not knowing where to turn, not knowing what to pray for. What does the Lord say to you when you cannot even voice a prayer? Does He tell you to sort yourself out? To get a grip? After all, you are a Christian with all the privileges of salvation. Sometimes as human parents we get this right, sometimes we get it wrong. When your child can't do something you might reasonably expect them to do, it is not loving parenting to push them aside and say, you stupid child. Why haven't you learned? Haven't I told you before? Let me do it. That is not good parenting. And it is never 
divine parenting. Likewise, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In the realm of groanings too deep for words, the Spirit is there. The Spirit himself, our only involvement in the intercession in the darkest of places is groaning. What does he pray? He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes to the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit prays for us according to the will of God. The will of God is perfect. The Spirit prays what is right for us. And even when we feel, no, he is not, he can't be, he is praying. And there are some people in this church family right now who do not know what to pray for. And those who are caring for them do not know what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit's in their hearts knows exactly what to pray for and is praying for them. And if in the verses earlier there is no hint of stoicism or grin and bear it, in these verses there is no hint of, I have told you this a thousand times. Nothing like that. Now, number six, I'll leave you to... Uh, Think on yourselves. What do you need at that point when you are in the pit? You need to know that God is sovereign. You need to know that God is sovereign. And that that issue and this issue and whatever issues are not out with the sovereign love of God for our good. What is our good? What is the good in Romans 8, verse 28? The good is that we are conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. How can that be happening when you're groaning? Let me say to you, and you would say this to me, is that when I see you groaning, or going through a period of real searching and groaning. And there is no way out of that overnight. Over a long period of time, God renders you more like Jesus. Seven. The indwelling Spirit, our advocate, assures us that because God gave His Son for us on the cross, He will graciously give us all things, no condemnation, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll leave you to ponder verses 31 to 38. Uh, they're amazing verses. No condemnation and no separation. But let's not forget the mighty list of struggles that bracket no condemnation and no separation, but 
a life of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God. But notice, we are not separated from that stuff now. In our welcome lunch today, there was a, a little Ukrainian child who's a refugee, who's in, in Edinburgh. There she was, speaking Ukrainian to her little friend who's Russian. That's what they were doing, these kids. And I was thinking of these words, and praying that in their time here they would come to know Jesus and know the truth of these words. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, it says here, we're going to conclude the series with John 14. We're not. We can save that for a question. Let me point you to one verse, though. Where is it? Verse 23, John 14. Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's good for us to, to leave uh, the last word in our series, connecting the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. And that wonderful, wonderful image. You know, in, in any home, as in domestic home, family, that the homemaker in our culture is perhaps the most undervalued role. The homemaker is the key role. And isn't it astonishing that God and Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, have chosen, until Christ comes and the new creation dawns, to make their home in you. And Father and Son and Holy Spirit are gently and lovingly doing some DIY. Now, I use that intentionally because they are doing the work, not you. And they're loving you, and they're praying for you, and they're groaning in you, and they're assuring you, and they're saying, come on, use the word Father. And Jesus, think what spirit dwells within them. Think what Father's love are thine. Think what Jesus died to win thee, child of heaven. Remember this word, canst thou repine? Remember what repine means? Don't fret. Don't cry. Don't fret. And don't long for something better, for you have found the most precious treasure that is possible to find on earth. Jesus. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we thank you for the great comfort and assurance of Romans 8. And we pray that you would seal the truths of this great and marvelous chapter uh, to our hearts. And perhaps we would do well to go home and to read it or to listen back to the recording and to think on it, to meditate on it,
to look at the notes, to read it for ourselves. Help us, Lord, one and all, to find assurance in the face of continuing sin, to know assurance, not to find it, to stumble upon it, for it's in us. And Lord, for whoever it is here and whoever they are here, who is so caught up in the rough, so down in the pit, so broken and discouraged, that they do not know what to pray for. The Holy Spirit is praying in them and for them with groanings too deep for words. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, for making your home on earth in our lives. And we pray this all in his name and for his sake. Amen. Now, just to, to say, we, we're going to have this Q&A afterwards. Um, I hope and pray it's a good idea. Um, we do want to be able to uh, um, share thoughts and ask questions. Um, if you've got a question, some of you have uh, sent them in to me. If you've got a question you'd want to ask, scribble it down and give it to Roger at the end. What we'll do is we'll break for five minutes and come back for just 15 to 20 minutes, really short. Give us time afterwards to, to chat and have tea and coffee together. So I don't want it to go on for more than 15 minutes or so, but just a short, sharp time. Five minutes, grab a coffee, uh, come back, leave if you need to. Don't be afraid of, of doing that. But stay if you can. It'd be good to be together, not least for the time uh, afterwards. Creator God, who shaped the earth and heavens, your glory shines in all that you have made. Uh, you spoke the word who broke into the darkness. All earth replies, majestic is your name. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. You know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for Your amazing grace. Thank you, our Father, for Your tender and compassionate and far-reaching love. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that You live in us, change us, Assure us, gift us, and empower us, and unite us with Christ and with God the Father, now and forevermore. Amen.